in the millennium, which begins with the return of the Lord, certain ones are destined to, quote, rule and reign with Christ. It was said of the return of the Lord from the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter, just where we were before, uh, that the sharp sword comes out of his mouth, and that's from the 15th verse of Revelation 19, and with which he would smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treaded the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vestment on his th- uh, and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now I mentioned that at the time of the return of the Lord, many things will happen. So in this time frame where the Lord is returning, He's destroying the nations that oppose Him, and Satan will be seized at the end of that process, Satan will be seized and put in the bottomless pit. Conditions on the earth obviously and persons affected thereby will change. Who, for example, uh, are those to be said to rule and reign with the Lord? And over whom shall He rule and reign when He comes? Uh, These are key understandings that should be sorted out uh, as we take a closer look at this period known as the millennium. Now, some of the ones who will come with the Lord to rule and reign, He'll bring with them from heaven. We know that from uh, such books as 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, uh, earlier on in the book of Revelation, uh, in chapters 18, 19, and now 20, from the prophetic passages of the Gospels, such as uh, the 24th chapter of the book of uh, Matthew, and and so on. So I'm summarizing a series of things spoken about uh, from the book of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians that speak of such matters. In the summary of it, the Lord Himself, and this is a quote, the Lord Himself shall be revealed from heaven with the shout of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And when He's coming, and the dead in Christ, the dead in Christ shall arise first. That means they will be brought back from the dead in much the same form as Jesus had when He was resurrected from the dead. And we know that form is a glorified body. 
because 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that the body we wear now, sown in weakness, sown a corruptible body, sown a mortal body, in the analogy of putting a seed in the ground, is raised an incorruptible body, is raised an immortal body, is raised a spiritual body. That body is like what Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. When Jesus lived in a natural body, the body of the man, Jesus, you could, he could be crucified. He could suffer pain and anguish and all of those conditions associated with this natural form. But when he was resurrected from the dead, all these conditions are conditions related to death. Sickness, suffering, pain, anguish, meaning mental anguish, uh, all those things either diminish the human form or bring it down, brings it down to death, where it dies because it is appointed unto men once to die. This form, this natural form, has an expiration, <clears throat> an expiration date to it. When that time is over, its purposes will have been complete. It is to serve until that time. In, here in the book of Revelation, Specific references made to that when it says, because the former things, suffering, sickness, pain, death, those former things have passed away. Now then, upon the return of the Lord, the dead in Christ shall rise first. There are two resurrections this one and then one that happens at the end of the millennium. After the thousand years are finished, that those who are yet dead will be resurrected. The purpose of that resurrection is for judgment. But the purpose of the first resurrection is to participate with Christ in the millennial rule. Now, what Christ is bringing back with him from heaven, who are the hosts of the righteous dead, are the spirits and souls of the righteous dead, because both spirit and soul return to God when one dies in Christ. Only the spirit returns to God when one dies outside of Christ. The soul of such a person goes to hell and that's what's raised at the end of the millennium because the spirit of the unrighteous dead was never activated. Spirits, all spirits given to human beings come out of God 
and they represent the capacity of the human being to become a son of God. He is the father of our spirits. So when we're born again, that is not an event primarily involving the soul. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. The being born again is of the spirit where the Holy Spirit bears witness with our human spirits that we are the sons of God. So much of this is so conflated and convoluted that it has become arcane and difficult to navigate when it's actually very simple. If, if evangelical doctrine or Roman Catholic doctrine, either one, if they understood the distinction between body, soul, and spirit, this confusion would disappear. It's when you try to make the soul and the spirit the same thing and suggest that it's just a, it's just a sleigh of hand or um, a, a way of using words, when you, when you suggest that that's all there is to it, then you create this level of confusion. But again, at the end of the age, God is sorting it all out. The resurrection is always and only of the body because it's the only thing that dies. (laughs) When I began to see some of these things by revelation, I was astonished at the simplicity, like what I just said. The only thing about you that ever dies is your body. It was created with obsolescence in mind. You were promised two bodies. One you've taken delivery on now and it's what you wear around. And by its nature, outwardly, you're fading away. Eventually, this body will be sown in corruption, which is to say, it'll be put in its weakness and in its weakened old state, it will be sown in corruption, meaning it will be destined to be devoured by worms in the dust of the earth. That's not the body that will be raised, thank God. The body that will be raised is one like what Jesus had when He was resurrected from the dead and it's a multi-dimensional functionality. It has the multi-dimensional functionality uh, in its capabilities. It is capable, like I said, of walking through walls. It's not bound by the limitations of space or objects or time. It is rather capable of moving easily between realms. It is designed to house effectively in the millennium, the spirit and the soul of the righteous. The rest of the dead that is not raised is not raised because all that remains to be raised is their souls that never serve God and that are already condemned. 
those souls are in hell. The arrogant, the faithless, the self-sufficient, the haters of God, the despisers of truth, the ones who did not choose to retain God in their knowledge, but gave themselves over to every lust and every desire, unhindered in their pursuit of godlessness, they'll remain in the dust of the earth. They will, their bodies will remain in the dust of the earth, their souls will remain in hell for this period of the thousand years. They will not be raised with the righteous. I am noticing something that I want to pause here and just take note of and highlight for you. There is an increasing development in and across human societies presently in which we are being made outlaws for speaking truth. There are persons who desire to practice whatever their souls want to practice, irrespective of what God has to say about it, irrespective of what the Scriptures say. We live in a time where you're only permitted to affirm the beliefs and the accompanying behaviors of people. And if you do anything else, if you do anything different, if you speak up against it, referring to the things of God, referring to the plain meaning of Scripture, if you do that, then you're branded a hater and you're branded as intolerant. Tolerance is never authorized in Scripture. Love is. But love is not tolerance. Love acknowledges the distinction between that which is right in the sight of God and that which is wrong. It acknowledges the difference. It, is never, it never conflates the one with the other. But in spite of the finding that the behavior opposes God, opposes the things of God, one loves like God loves because all sin, all sin of every kind opposes God, opposes the ways of God and constitutes choice. But God doesn't hate the sinner. Jesus died for the sinner. For God so loved the world, the cosmos, which is another analogy for the godless and the lawless. And everybody fell into that category at one time or another. Everyone, those who are now saved, those who are now righteous, together with the ones who are still in that condition, God so loved mankind that He gave Christ the ultimate sacrifice to die. I don't understand, frankly, this vitriol that is coming from the church 
toward, specifically toward homosexuals and lesbians and the LGBTQ um, community. I do not understand the hatred toward them. It is inconsistent with love. The fact is you can disagree, but in the manner of disagreement, the church has positioned itself as judge, jury, and executioner. And frankly, a lot of this that has now become legislative fiat by way of pushback is the way it's it's actually reaping what has been sowed. When the church dominated social order, it criminalized the behaviors of certain kinds of sinners. And I said that, certain kinds of sinners. It criminalized uh, the behaviors of certain kinds of sinners using the fiat of law that it controlled. Now that it doesn't control anymore and those people who were the subjects of law criminalizing their behavior are now more influential in the formation of law and they've turned it around. This is reaping what has been sowed. But the leaders of the church presently see great value for their own ideas and for their own personal uh, fame in doubling down and hardening their stances. We should never have criminalized the church should never have criminalized sinful behavior, it should have left it up to the law to do so. But it didn't. And so now, the church has no business ruling over the unbeliever. Now, what the believer, what the unbeliever does may be criminal. If you murder somebody, that's criminal behavior. But the church should not have been the instrument for the formation of criminal law in society. It should not have used the power of righteousness to do that. Why? because this is not our kingdom. It's simple. Anybody in our kingdom has to come out of the world and come into the kingdom. And that process of separation from the world to the kingdom of God is fundamentally based in forgiveness, which is the expression of love. So we never say that evil is evil, but we never take the role of judges of the world 
when we have the social power and societal power to do so. When Christians are in the majority of those who elect officials and create law, they make a tragic mistake in imposing Christian behavior, uh, uh, godly behavior upon the world through the agency of law. Why? Because until someone comes into the kingdom of God, we as believers do not have jurisdiction to punish them, to criminalize their behavior or to punish them. We're never authorized to do that. But, but, certain ones have deceived the church into believing that the nation and the church are one, that the kingdom of God and the United States of America, for example, are one and the same thing. No, no, no human nation, Great Britain, the United States, Canada, to name preeminent Western nations, or any nation, none of them has ever been the kingdom of God, nor will they ever be. So their citizens are subject to the laws of their assemblies. And those assemblies may permit every evil thing if that's what the people want. But such behavior cannot be brought into the kingdom of heaven and that's the only place where our jurisdiction begins. When someone applies for citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, the persons with whom I have any measure of serious disagreement are those who allege themselves to be believers who would import behaviors that are not consistent with Scripture into the kingdom of God. Import it into the nation, if you will. That's your right as a citizen. Righteousness exalts a nation, sin is a reproach to any people. This distinction needs to be made. Now then, in the millennium, the unrighteous dead will not be raised. Blessed and holy are those who take part in the first resurrection. They will rule and reign with Christ. When Christ comes back on His return, He will not raise the unrighteous dead. Their souls will remain in hell where they go when they die because choice actually is choice. Now then, after Satan was bound, the next, the thing that John sees next is thrones and those who sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Now this is one of the first things to be referred to in the millennium, judgment being handed to those who sat upon thrones. It is said elsewhere 
in the book of Revelation that they will rule and reign with Christ in the millennium. Here the obvious and operative presumption is the Lord has returned. He has banished the opposition to His rule to a thousand years in the abyss and now He is beginning to establish His rule of righteousness upon the earth and He sits among those who have been brought back with Him, He sits them upon thrones because they are the instruments by whom He will rule and reign. Hence the concept of judgment committed into their hands. Then he said, he defines those who have been so empowered. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the Word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or in their right hand. He said, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now then, this seems to have a specific reference to the more recent events of those who had come through the great opposition posed by the beast to the saints who were alive at the time. But it should not be an indication that this is the exclusive company of those who rule and reign with Christ, who sit upon thrones. The the notion of being beheaded has uh, multiple potential uh, implications. You notice that not only were they beheaded, but they did not receive the imprint or the mark of the beast on their foreheads or on their right hand. It meant that their minds remained clear as to whose they were, to whom they belonged, and they never submitted to, they never submitted to the economy of the beast, your right hand, the mark on your right hand. But it cannot be inferred here that this is the exclusive company of those who rule and reign with Christ because the Apostle John, the very writer of this book, had not been beheaded for the witness of Christ and it cannot be presumed that he would not be among the company who rule and reign with Christ. That sets up the question for further discussion, who rules and who is ruled over? And this is a key component of the reason behind why there is actually a millennium. Some are sitting on thrones and ruling and we look more intently on their function of rule and some are being ruled over. We know that there are two categories of other people who are upon the earth then. Uh, We certainly know that these sitting on thrones are among those that the Lord has brought with Him 
back from heaven. Certain others were transformed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and they meet the Lord in the air and they come back to rule and reign with Him. Again, among this company are those who have perfected a response to God by way of choice. And there are those who did not perfect their response to God because they were ambivalent about their choices, although they are believers. So there are two categories of believers here who have been brought back and are now present in the millennium. And there's a third category of unbelievers who survived the events that culminate the age. They are not the unrighteous dead, but they themselves are unrighteous people. They survive and they are to be ruled over. The majority of persons ruled over are of the unrighteous who survive the events at the end of the age. But a significant portion of those who are also ruled over are those who, whose souls were not, who did not obey unto perfection. Their souls remained rebellious. The point and purpose of the millennium is especially to finish their conformation to the standard of Christ. Now that's where I want to pick up when we come back. I'm Sam Solon and we'll talk about ruling and reigning in the millennium, who is ruled over, who rules over, and what is the intent. I'll see you then. Bye now.